Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Talking Pictures Podcast. This week, we discuss Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to this entire podcast and give us five stars. This podcast will self-destruct in one hour and 20 minutes. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Talking Pictures Podcast. I'm your host David and joining with me as always my co-host Brian. Brian, how are you today? Yeah, David, I'm pretty good. We're here once again to talk about the week's newest release, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah, we saw this movie separately. Yeah, we said, well we didn't say, but we weren't able to see it together so we saw it in two completely different scenarios. You went to Dublin and see it in IMAX. And you just went to see it with your father? Yeah, just to see it in... in just a not IMAX branded screen but still big enough screen Uh, how did you find seeing this movie in IMAX before we delve into the movie how did you find actually the experience seeing in IMAX this was my second time seeing a proper IMAX screening and felt rewarding and justified because of the scale and scope of everything you saw on screen whether it was close-up shots of people or wide shots of a lot of moving information involving action set pieces or stunts hmm. it was great yeah yeah we we did the same same thing we did with some other films where we neither of us watched trailers for this either we i watched the first one that was released over a year ago from when this movie was released may 23rd 2022 hmm. so yeah in the trailer it says next year so i watched that trailer because I wasn't going to go through a year without watching a trailer. And it had it didn't really have much dialogue. It was more so a showcase of all the scenes mm-hmm. with the Mission Impossible score over it. And it was great. It was grand. I loved it. And I did not need to see any more trailers. And the uh, trailers that were released almost a year later, I didn't watch. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the same vein because I don't know if you remember, but when Mission Impossible Fallout... The last one was coming out. Yes. I don't think anyone in the world didn't see Tom Cruise breaking his ankle on that jump. Mm, yeah. Because it was used in so much promotional material. Social so media. Much, social media, interviews, everything. It was like, oh, look at this jump. And I just kind of was like, oh, I don't want to see so much. or I just don't want to see these big stunts on like my phone or on a small TV or a monitor or something like that. Like these moments are made for the big screen and I want those to be the first time I see them. So Yeah, I, I respect that. And I, I do get why you didn't watch the trailer when it was released. Uh, it was enough for me to get excitement because I could be on a three-hour drive to Cork, mm. four hours actually, and I, instead of listening to music, I would listen to movie trailers and that would be one of them. Mm-hmm. And just imagine it yourself like... Well, yeah, I don't even need to watch it. Yeah, just... I, I eventually listened to the second trailer but mm-hmm. I didn't watch it. You can you can get away with a, with a lot of imaginary. Uh, you can get away with a lot of imaginative desire in what you expect or suspect the movie mm-hmm. will be just by listening to a movie trailer mm-hmm. and not watching it. Yeah, 
These ones that were good because they had the whole voiceover from Kittredge yeah. from the first movie. And he's got a great voice. Kittredge, he he was in the first movie and he played a similar role in what he, he played in the first one to what he played here. More older, more... Um, still, he's not a villain. He's, he's not a hero. At the end of the day, he is on your side. He's just <clears throat> always at the opposite agreement with you. Yeah. He's very much a an envoy for the IMF. Yeah. He is working on it with their best interests. Yes. And that might go against what Ethan Hunt is doing right at that moment. And I feel like, justly so, Ethan Hunt didn't agree with what Kittredge and the rest of the suits in the office were looking to get, which was more power mm-hmm. and control and dominance. He's thinking, no, no one should have this power. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's gone rogue again. Mm-hmm. And he's very much, even though he'll tell Ethan things, he won't tell him the whole truth. No, definitely um, not. I think before we go any further, we should once again just reiterate, like we do in most of these episodes, that we're going to be talking full spoilers. Spoilers. So from this point onwards, that's your um, your cutoff point now. We're talking spoilers. So yeah, it's um, revealed at the beginning that... that Kittredge um, put out the hit on Ilsa. He put the $50 million up for her. Because she was in the lead to get one half of a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. The MacGuffin the is a key, yeah. yeah. A key that has two parts that uh, can uh, be connected to get her like a slider. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were... They're the MacGuffin of the movie. They're the things that the villain wants. They're the things that Ethan needs to retrieve. Uh, and it was all put to a halt with Hayley Atwell's character Grace mm. being introduced into it. Uh, a real outsider stumbled into this situation who is set on the path for the rest of her life. Yeah, she's very much like nearly a surrogate for the audience of... In all of these other movies you have, in various ways, different spies that come in. They're either part of the team or yeah. against the team. Already established hackers or assassins or... Uh, operative mm-hmm. black ops and then Hayley Atwell's character comes along and she's very much like a thief a pickpocket a pickpocket so she has some a skill set yes um, she's, so a- she's, she's able to throw a punch and wield a knife yeah. and get away she can hold her own in some aspects but she very much does not want to be there no in any sense and definitely has a sense of uh, danger mm-hmm. uh, so and definitely has a sense of fear yeah very much so throughout like she is constantly finding herself in these situations and her first instinct is, I need to get away from here. I need to run. I need yeah. to be anywhere else but here. And this was a good opportunity for the makers of the movie to include in the script the theme of the choice. Yes. Talk about that a little bit. Because the movie kind of opens with the the guys in the submarine. But the first scene after that with Ethan is when the, the guy comes with the, the information on it. And he's got the delivery yeah, and he's like, "Oh no, you're doing it wrong. Like, you need to ask me the security questions." It's very much someone who's brand new, and he's like, "Oh, you know, welcome to the IMF. You made the right choice." And that choice that it's not like you know, they're just a a part of say the CIA, and then they come to the IMF. Like, you move over from the FBI to IMF or something like that. It's very much like no, you're put in a position that you either it's it's not very much of a choice, is it? It's either you die, you're going to prison, or you join us. Yeah. For your particular set of skills. Hmm. And yeah, uh, for such an element, 
or an aspect already established in the franchise of the movie but never explored was mm. the choice like these people aren't there for jobs they're mm. there because that's what they do they all choose to be there that was never explored or delved into before until now mm-hmm. um which is a nice layer to bring into the next installment like what have you got new for me mm-hmm. even the whole pickpocket in uh, uh, mechanic yeah, like with Grace doing it all throughout the movie, and then Ethan even doing it himself multiple times as well. You know, it's a it's a nice new thing to be introduced. Mm-hmm. Even the bomb to go off. It's not a bomb this time around. It's something that can be considered more realistic, but uh, subtle, subtly explored. Save for part two, I think, which is AI. Yeah. The actual overarching villain of yeah. the entity. Yeah, and I think it, it's not. It's not that. It's it's not that. It's a bomb that's going off. We actually don't know what it is. Yeah, it's. If it turned out to be a bomb, okay, fine, fair enough. But it's it's a very sentient digital machine mm-hmm. where now technology is the enemy, and it actually sends up a sense of fear and horror when Ethan yeah. realizes in the club, it's here. Yeah, the entity made this happen. And you you get a sense of what it can look like on a digital screen, mm-hmm. and then it can you can see another little bit of what it can sound like by manipulating uh, his team, like with yeah. Simon Pegg. It, it's not Simon Pegg speaking; it's the entity using his voice to mm-hmm. direct his, Ethan's team into traps. That was like really scary. It was, yeah, no, genuinely, because it, like, it, it can be real. Yeah, someday. That, that's the thing is that when we were when me and my dad were watching it, the trailer for uh, Gareth Edwards, the creator, came on. Same. And he turned to me and he went, "Oh, that's based on a true story." And like we laughed, like because he was, you know, AI that's going to happen. Yeah. And then this movie started. I didn't know that it was going to be an AI villain. You didn't. And know I was that. like, "Oh wow, okay, that's pretty funny." That like, that's kind of now as we move forward. Um, the new villain is kind of machines and AI and, and it's it's always kind of maybe something that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, you know, back in the, say, Top Gun days where it's like, you know, Russians. Um, and then as we went through kind of the 80s, it was like nearly like sci-fi and space and aliens. But yeah. now as we're in this era now with the 2020s, it's very much like AI and machines and and things that we think we have a grasp on but we don't fully that they have so much more power than we even realize yeah so to see that like it opens up it opens up with the russian submarine mm-hmm. and it's uh you know it's we think that that's they're developing they're, they're developing um a, uh, a submarine that's undetectable nobody can find it so that they could you know sneak in past enemy lines and you know set off a nuke and you're kind of beginning you're leading that you're led to believe like that's what this is about yeah but and that's very traditional kind of mission impossible um thing we need to stop isn't it like a biochemical weapon someone getting their hands on something they shouldn't yes because because in the submarine is the physical embodiment of the entity yeah that's where the core the heart the the brain yeah so we find that it's actually an ai program that find on much later obviously in the film that it's, it was actually developed by i don't know if it was the cia but like the american intelligence yes that it's an ai that is programmed to 
hack into other countries' defense systems and and then leave, like set off bombs or whatever, and then yeah. leave. It was like the perfect undercover agent. Yeah. But as with a lot of AI, once it's released, it has a mind of its own and it does its own thing. I feel a lot of similarities with Fast X. Was Fast X? Yeah, they, they introduced like AI to to a certain degree. Did which, they? I can't remember that. Wait, Alan Richardson's uh, character. Oh, I can't remember that, but yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there were some kind of similarities to this because they they had a, a chase scene in Rome as well, didn't they? Yeah, um... <laughs> Fast Fast and Furious feels like they think they are what Mission Impossible is, and Mission Impossible just is it. Do you know, yeah. they're on two different levels. Yeah, I I do remember one of our friends saying, "You're gonna watch a Mission Impossible movie thirty years from now and know that is real." Mm-hmm. With the stunts, yes. At, whereas you look at a Fast and Furious movie, it's gonna be like, what, a, what a joke, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I did think, uh, I thought maybe this movie had the second best pace of a Mission Impossible movie. Fallout mm-hmm. remains my favorite, uh, only by a bit, and I thought that, yeah, the the debate, like I thought, okay, great. Um, it, the first act was great and then I thought it took maybe a bit of a, of a slow stop when Elsa Re- Rebecca Ferguson was reintroduced into the movie mm-hmm. when he, Ethan thought she died at the start in the desert and told her to go out get away pretend you're dead but when Ethan is rescued in Rome after that whole uh, fiasco is finished Benji and Luther pick him up and he still has a steering wheel <laughs> handcuffed to his hand mm-hmm and he has, he's, he's with his team again. Uh, I thought, okay, that whole explanation of um, discussing what the entity could be and how they have to restrict themselves. Yeah. I like how that, that, that I just felt like it was a little bit more slow and then lead up to the nightclub scene where Vanessa Kirby is brought into the movie and then we have all the meet-up of all mm-hmm. the women of the movie and all the... Uh, all, yeah, it's actually all the women of the movie and the uh, villain and the hero mm-hmm. uh, in this scene. Well, that that scene you're talking about before, where they they all come together after um, the chase scene through yeah. Rome, and it that that felt like a great point of which where you realize, oh, you can't trust anything or anyone. Yeah. Um, throughout kind of all the movies, even with this one, say for example the airport scene, where. The um the guys are trying to find Ethan. Yeah, Shea and, Shea Wiggum and yeah. uh, I don't know who the other guy. His was. whole task force are trying to find him. Yeah. and Luther is hacking in to the security feed and he's putting Ethan's face on other people. Yeah, and you're kind of seeing that from obviously our perspective, like oh the heroes they're getting away with it, and they're messing with. It kind of nearly feels like oh they're kind of messing with the the guys. They're not doing it in like a a bad way. It kind of feels like it's more. Oh, you know, yeah. he worked his way around him. Joke, it, jokes on you. Jokes on you, yeah. yeah. But as soon as it's turned, and now this kind of stuff is being used against the team, you're like, oh wow, this is actually really scary, because they, the the fact that um, the AI is at that moment while Gabriel is walking around the airport, also deleting him, so he's there's no evidence of him being there. Yeah, he's like a ghost on the footage, and then. Um, when Rebecca Ferguson, when Elsa's character, she says like, "Oh no, I was told I got information from my um, people in people in MI six. Yeah, I was like, "How did you get that?" It's like, "Oh, over email," and you kind of realize, "Oh, the entity is 
everywhere and anywhere and you can't trust anyone and it becomes like a real like spy thriller like I felt I was like on edge like the entire time and even when they say like oh you need to like we can't trust anyone unless you speak to them face to face yeah 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 but even at that what's Mission Impossible known for having these fake masks and voice manipulators and making you think that you're talking to someone when you're not so now there is no safety in anything whether it be over an encrypted network a phone call face to face you really have to just be careful and then that's obviously perpetuated later on when um, he thinks he's talking to Benji and he's giving him the information of where to go and, and leading him into a maze essentially to trap and it, him and it mimics him it mimics him so well that it's like left and he's like no 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 sorry I meant right yeah. and that's the voice and it knows the way Benji speaks and it knows the way that Benji messes up directions he's not good yeah. and that's if you watch the other movies it's, it's similar yeah. it's, that's a character trait of him and now this is I'm getting goosebumps talking about it like it's scary how it learns so quickly and can mimic you know maybe not perfectly because when you're hearing it, it you can just slightly it's, it's tell it's just not right it's just not right something's off when Ethan's in that moment even, you even, can't yeah. tell and even when it tells him you can't make it Ethan but you can Elsa yeah and it, it, it's just distorted it's menacing but as an audience member we know that to the characters it's Benji and like when there's nothing they can do but just smash their laptops and just they're in, yeah. yeah. You, you need to go yeah, analog. And, and, <laughs> yeah, Benji just goes out and tries to find them, and mm-hmm. that whole setup from uh, started at the nightclub scene. Yeah, uh, Gabriel, pure dickhead. Yeah, for all time's sake, I'll let you pick which one dies: your friend or your new companion. Mm-hmm. A choice is being placed on two of the better uh, female actresses on this franchise and in this movie. Uh, either Hayley Atwell dies or Elsa Frost dies and you know Elsa uh, in this movie like she's already in a well established character yeah. she's she's. I, I would trust her to go up against villains than Ethan Ethan can go save the day while yeah. Elsa takes care of the villain she that, did that that was the case in few, Fallout yeah and in Rogue Nation as well the, the, yeah, she had a few times she was she's she can hold her own she's, she's a good agent yeah. more than capable of holding her own mm-hmm. and in this movie now is already a well established character when Gabriel's in that room in that VIP section threatening everyone telling him he's this is not going to happen I'm going to get the key tomorrow at this time on the train and there's nothing you can do about it and mm-hmm. your fate is already sealed Elsa is just sitting there giving him a dead stare and she's just being playing the silent deadly type and I felt threatened by that because and she's not she's, she's our hero she's on the team mm. and I love that role she's like don't mess with her mm-hmm. she'll kill you it's, it's almost like what Pom Clementife who played Paris the silent mime uh, mm-hmm. assassin Harley Quinn type it's like almost like pit them two together which uh, Elsa's more serious uh, Paris is more maniac yeah and that's the thing is that um, like you're saying there, right, with Elsa not saying anything, you know that's because she's thinking and she's calculating, like, what's the next move? Yeah. Whereas with Pom Clementine's character, she she's silent as well, but you've no idea what she's thinking. You don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. She's just, like, a little bit, like, I don't, you obviously don't know her well There's enough. There's a bit of a spontaneousness to her. Yeah. I was kind of saying she was, like, she's, like, a toned-down version of Harley Quinn. Like, yeah. she, you could see her play that kind of role. Um and I like that Ethan, Ethan uh, says that 
Elsa, run away as far as you can to Grace, stay where you are. Yeah. And two different, very different instructions and, for two very different And people. he doesn't want them both to die. And throughout the movie, a few times, multiple times, both annoyingly and humorously, she's trying to get out of this situation just to get away from everyone, getting away from Ethan. She tries to make a bystanders think that he's this hit Grace thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. this is Grace. She's... She just doesn't want to be involved. She pickpockets the key because she was hired to do that for money. And mm-hmm. if she wasn't doing that, she'd sell it off to something. She's a thief. She's a she's a scoundrel. She she could be a smuggler for all we know. She's in a, she's an orphan who needed a hug. Mm-hmm. And got I got to like her. And I don't want anything to happen bad to happen to her. And when the moment calls for her to join Ethan, uh, even in the small moments, like when she has the key on her person. And um, Vanessa Kirby's character, uh, her brother, is, is saying, where's the key? It's the last place you'll ever look. It's stuffed in his pocket right then and there. Mm-hmm. And like, let Ethan know that. So she's joining with Ethan. She's trying not to join with Gabriel when he tries to buy her a drink and tell her what's what. I like I like those little subtle moments in and out there. But then she'll try to get away because she just doesn't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. She's very much for herself. Yeah. But she still recognises what everyone's part is to play in this yeah, and right and wrong yeah a, a, a role and a decision that Vanessa Kirby's character uh, whose mother was in the first movie by the way I wish yeah Vanessa Kirby's character her mother was Max in the first movie and Max was briefly mentioned in this movie in, in, well on the train when when Kittredge and Alana, oh yeah yeah Alana is Vanessa Kirby hmm. Alana when her, her her mother was Max and so there's a bit of like a reunion with Kittredge and Alana there hmm. um, point I'm trying to make is that when Ethan is uh, fighting off Paris spares her life as well but hmm. you felt rage when he smashes the pipe yeah. on the brick wall he, he's not a full on murderer mm-hmm. like if, if, between him and you it, it'll be him if he needs to stop a bomb from going off Meanwhile, Grace stumbles across Gabriel. She doesn't run away. She tries to take him out with a knife, holding her her own. And uh, gets knocked out. Just in time enough for Elsa to come come across the situation, put on a good fight. But at this stage, you know, she's going to die. And she does die. Yeah. What do you think of that? I... Killing uh, one of the... Let's be honest, recently introduced characters mm-hmm. in the franchise that has kept it going. The female lead for the past three movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was disappointed. I, I really like Ilsa and I think she's a great like counterpart to, to Ethan. Because obviously with Julie in the third movie, um, and you get the resolution in the sixth that um, they couldn't be together. Yes. Because, because of the life that Ethan lives. That knowing that if he was out... If he was out saving the world she would be worried about him and if he was out if he was at home with her not on a mission then he would be worried about that yes so they couldn't be together whereas Ilsa felt like they, they always had like a, a a connection um, and that they were meant to be together that they could live this life together yes um, and then there's those, those like there's those little sweet moments of when they're on top of the roof and he, she comes over and gives him a hug yeah. you know and they're, they're, it's like they're happy to see each other because he was, you know, like earlier on in the film, he told her, like, you're dead now. Go. Get out. 
and he's given her that option like a couple of times but she keeps coming back in and it's not for Ethan but she keeps finding her way back to Ethan they're like drawn to each other yeah so it was I was sad to see her go I do I think she's a great she's a great character and, yeah. I, and I like her she can hold her own like you said the only thing I don't like about her death and I don't I don't like this in general is when you have a fake out of a death and the death in the same movie yeah um, I, I understand that I do get what you're saying it didn't bother me not, not at all um, because you find out right straight away that she was not dead yeah it wasn't like, too long yeah it, was, it wasn't prolonged and even when she comes back into the movie it wasn't all that long Mm-hmm. If anything, I don't like. I don't like that this female lead was pretty much replaced by another female lead. But wildly, mm-hmm. vastly different characters played by beautifully different actresses. Just you know, uh, oh yeah, let's just take this female lead and throw this other one in. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of something that's been happening in the movies, but this is different. I acknowledge this is different because these are fully fleshed out characters we we have seen multiple times. But like. With um, Paula Patton and Maggie Q, and you know, like these characters were just, and, and of course, um, Tandoe Newton, like in these previous Mission Impossible movies, these female leads are just like introduced in the movie and then they're gone by the next. But That's, if, yeah. if not female leads, the female character of the movie, but it, I acknowledge this different with uh, Elsa and Grace, these mm-hmm. almost opposites and just different characters and I, I I it was different but it just felt like a bit too much of that didn't bring any uh, distaste to it or anything like that because it could just be the same situation as well like for example they have two hackers now with Luther and Benji yeah. instead of one hacker Ethan is the only man there to do the things he's doing mm. he's the man and now he's an, even Elsa was his companion to get their hands dirty Grace is not that. Yeah. I always felt like that. Like, I was thinking about that similarly. Like, that, that Luther always felt like the hacker. And mm. he could get into anything. And then Benji was kind of nearly like the... I don't know how you describe him. Like, he he would do the masks and he would get the gadgets and stuff like that. Like, he was the Q. The James yeah. Q. But, now, but in this one, they're both the hacker. Yeah. And I just felt like they were both... They both served the same role. Yeah, but they they, they did end differently. Luther Luther yeah. had to has to leave because he needs to knuckle he needs to knuckle down somewhere in in a cabin in the woods to yeah. try and find where the entity is because he can't do anything online. Yes. He needs to go completely off. So it's good that uh, Benji is with Ethan at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um I th- thought this movie had a lot of homages to the first one. It did. A whole lot of Dutch angles. Yeah, I and, noticed that a lot, yeah. And, uh, of course, the return of Kittredge, who I suppose was always there in the universe, but... Uh, only... This was his first role since the first one. Yes. Um, and I like how everything sort of came together. Even the villain with Ethan, who has a pass with him. I liked him. Sexy man. Uh, <laughs> bit of a wooden, but, uh, and also a dick. Very uh, much a puppet. Yes. Like you but don't know you, his yeah, motivations. Yeah, you, you need a you need a, a human for Ethan to go up against. You yeah. need a mematic, and it's not that he's not likable. I liked um, Henry Cavill as Lark or August Walker. Like the mustache alone, like adds a little bit more to it. I think the the suave of this yeah. villain Gabriel adds a bit of something to it. Mm-hmm. But and he's always with the knives, and he's he's very like stri- direct to it. Mm-hmm. As soon as Ethan, as soon as uh, 
it's revealed that the uh, director of intelligence, the guy who's above Kittred, who by the way was saying, yeah, you can go take care of Kittredge after this conversation. He was gonna Kittredge get killed. Who was pretty much also then a puppet, uh, to be, uh, being used for his services. That you don't want to see anything bad happen to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want anything bad happen to Kittredge. You know, yeah. Um, his motivations are very much they're unclear, and I think it ha- they have been. Maybe not unclear, but you can definitely tell that he's he, not on. Yeah, yeah, he's like trying to, he's trying to do the greater good, even though he doesn't agree with that. He, he's mm. he's just trying to do what's best for America. Yeah, and he's like the second in charge when, and who takes over when the boss was a villain. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And he's. I think he's uh, very uh, much like a. He's a a representative for the IMF. Yes, and even though he's on Ethan's side. Like you were saying, he's very much on the opposite end of the, agreement. the same side. Yes, yes, yes. There's, there's like, we want the same thing, but we need, we're going about it two completely different ways. Yeah. And I thought, uh, will we get to the, to the stunt of the movie? I think uh, we take a little break here. You want to take a little break? I think if Laura wouldn't mind playing that little jingle for us. Laura, play that jingle for us. You know what that means? It's time for some flashbacks. Okay. So, do you want to go first? Will I go first? Who will go first? Um, I'll go first. Flash fact number one for Mission Impossible: Tom Cruise and Ving Rhames are the only actors to appear in all seven films in the series. However, Simon Pegg has been in every film since the third film. I like that that Ethan has like his team. His, his, yeah, he has his team. His yeah. best friend Luther, his best friend Benji, and they work together no yeah. matter what it is. And it feels like that. As his team, they're always there, but they are not in the nightclub room scene. Mm-hmm. They are not in the train. Mm-hmm. They are like they're not the special guest stars, or they're not the recurring. Um, they're like part of the main cast, or it's like their roles are like big when Ethan is there mm-hmm. with them or on the mission with them. Mm-hmm. whereas in the movies or whereas in the scenes where it's Ethan on his own with the guest star of the episode Hayley Atwell as Grace or the guest star of the episode is Isai Morales as Gabriel you know do you know what I mean as if it was yeah. a TV show mm-hmm. um, like he's always going to go back to yeah you know you know those those, those characters are there yeah um, I got a flashback for you hit me with it uh, Isai Morales who I just mentioned who played Gabriel yeah he was not originally cast to play that villain. Okay. Yeah. Nicholas Holt was cast as the villain in the January of 2020. But in May of 2020, he had to drop out because of uh, scheduling conflicts with The Great, hmm. which I'm sure COVID played into the role of the conflicts. So... That's, Nick, not, that's not the first role that he's lost out on, No. <laughs> so not only did he have to drop out on that, Actually no, yeah, he did. He did lost to that role, but he he got it. But he had to drop out. Mm-hmm. He also had to, well, not that he had to. He he did not get the role to play Rooster in Top Gun, another t- Tom Cruise led movie. Mm-hmm. He also was in the running to play Batman. And, Is that Robert Pattinson's Batman? Yeah, Robert yeah. Pattinson's Batman, and uh, he lost out in that as well. So guys just kind of catch a break. Yeah, you know, <laughs> beast forever. 
Yeah. <laughs> Beast Forever, yeah. No, he's very much... Um, like, I do feel bad when you lose out on so many... Especially when, like, Top Gun Maverick's, like, the biggest film of last year. Imagine, imagine him as the villain in this movie, though. He'd be it's a different character. Completely. He'd completely. be, yeah. Like, he'll still play the same role in doing the things he's doing. But, yeah, completely and, different. And, and I looked this up as well. Tom Cruise likes to get an actor who is capable of the physicality of the villain mm-hmm. in the fights. And we do see that, and he was good. This guy, this guy's like in his fifties by the looks of it. Sure, Tom Cruise and, is in his sixties. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but that's Tom Cruise. Yeah, this guy's a working actor who's had a few roles in Ozark and was uh, uh, he was Deathstroke in Titans, you know. So mm-hmm. like this guy, what's he known for? The villains previously were like Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, Henry Cavill and um, John Voight. So like, who is this guy? Well, hopefully this guy, you know, hopefully yeah. this guy gets a bit of a kick in his career with this. Yeah. But I did think maybe what would Nicholas Holt have been like as a villain? Yeah. Like, be curious. Yeah, it would have been, like you said, a completely different villain. Um, flash fact number three. Uh, the White Widow, played by Vanessa Kirby, has blue eyes. But when Grace, played by Hayley Atwell, is impersonating her, her eyes are brown. And no one seems to notice. Not even her brother, Zola. You must have been a bit stressed with uh, anxiety about the trade-off. I don't know if I would notice if someone's eyes were completely different. That's not something I... Brown, I and, brown and blue are a standout. I mean, brown yeah. and green you could get away with. Maybe brown and... Maybe. Green and blue you can get away with. Not brown and blue. It's just not something that I, I think, maybe look out for. Especially in my own life, I'm not really registering people's eye colour. Gorgeous eyes like Vanessa Kirby. She does have very striking eyes, in yes. fairness. So I like that in the whole scene where... I like the role she played there as well. V- Vanessa Kirby as Alana, the mm-hmm. widow. She's not a villain, but she's like put in a situation where she has to look out for her own. Mm-hmm. Similar to like her mother. And like when she goes to meet Kittred, who's revealed to be the buyer. <laughs> of course, it's his original motive. He says, "You're not. Uh, who, you're not who I'm expecting. You're a little. Where's the little girl I met all those years ago? You know. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a connection there. So if I ever to see them characters again, I expect to see them two together or to have a connection. That's that's like their connection, mm-hmm. Kittredge and Alana. Like if you were to see a spin-off of sorts, I would. Ex- if you're to get one of them, I expect to see the other. Mm-hmm. And whereas the real Alana." Uh, she was sort of like she was tased out and then when the fake one played by Grace leaves the real one comes out says uh, who the hell else would it be and she's you know wobbly she can't really speak right she's unconscious I like that she falls and then Kitchard grabs her like a mm-hmm. bit of a carer sense to her because yeah. he, like, maybe he got to know his mother a bit even though she went she, she stayed out of jail essentially you know mm-hmm. so I like that I got that sense that Kitchard sort of keeps an eye out for her. Like, just that literal sense of catching her while he falls. Yeah. And, like, sort of caring for her because he's, she's sitting on the chair and he's still there with her when mm-hmm. Shay Wiggum comes back. I know I'm drawing this flashback out a bit, <laughs> but it's nice to... It's a good character moment, yeah. It no. is a good character moment. Yeah. Uh, I got another flashback for you. Go for it. I mentioned Don Voight was the villain in the first one. Yeah. Yeah, he played Jim Phelps. Yeah. You know who Jim Phelps was? Hey, we Jim Phelps was the protagonist in the Mission Impossible TV show. Imagine watching a um, TV show in our day and age, right? Not actually, you know, all that um, uh, 
popular, I guess. Not globalized because you know when you get a TV show, you expect a movie. It's mm-hmm. actually the other way around these days. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make is that you get the second uh, project of the same IP, Mission Impossible movie. Except Jim Phelps, who's the hero, is actually a villain. That's crazy. Yeah, like genuinely, like the fact that yeah. I looked this up as well. There was like two seasons of the original show, mm. and then like eight seasons of the reboot. And then this movie. And Jim Phelps was throughout all of it. Yeah. And he was like nearly the main character, the good guy. Yeah. And then the first movie comes out. He's, oh. he's depicted as a good guy. He yeah. opens the scene. He opens the movie. He's and the leader of the team. He's the Ethan Hunt. Yeah. And, of that and, team. And you think, you think, oh, they kill him off early to let the younger generation, such as Tom Cruise, take over. Yeah. But no, he comes back as, you know, supposedly good. But no, he's bad. He's a villain. And he's, he's the guy on the train who Ethan fights. It's crazy. A bit of resemblance here I, in if, this movie. If the internet had been out back then, like well, if the internet was as big as yes, it is now. Like, that's what I mean by globalised. Yeah, like how how would people, how did people react to that? How, how did, Oh, the, the original cast didn't like it. No, I can't imagine, like if, if we were watching, you know, Star Wars, um, you know, back when Disney first acquired it and The Force Awakens came out and it's like, oh, here's the bad guy. Oh, and it's Luke. You know, and he was he was the Kylo Ren. And you're like, oh no, Luke turned to the dark side. You're like, what? It's just so like out of the box. You're yeah. like, the balls on them to do that. It's crazy to like take a character that everyone loves into the main character and just make him evil. Yeah, it's not not balls. Not good decision to do. Um, I have another flashback. Give us some flashbacks. So, um, everyone knows the iconic Mission Impossible team. Mm-hmm. Do 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 do. Um, do you know there's a secret message in that theme? So, what do you mean? So the um, what more, you on about, Will? <laughs> so the theme song, do 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 do, right? Yeah. The long do do's are actually Morse code. It's all Morse code. So the do do the first two notes, M. The second or the third and fourth note. So do do M do do. So too long, too short. Stands for M I. Mission Impossible. So the theme song literally spells out M.I. for Mission Impossible. Do, 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 do. Was that theme song going all the way back to the TV show? That's from the TV show. It was originally developed there. That's so smart. That is crazy. I wish I was musically minded like that. That I could slip in little things like that. That's great. Um, I got another uh, flashback for you, David. Wrap us up on flashbacks. Yeah. The Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 was originally supposed to be released in July 23rd, 2021. And then it was delayed to November 19th, 2021. And then it was delayed again to May 27th, 2022. And then it was delayed again to September 30th, 2022. And then it was released in July 12th, 2023. A lot of pushbacks. Lot of I pushbacks. didn't even realize there was that many, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't realize it was originally supposed to be released back in 2021. I thought it was only delayed from 2022 onwards. Mm. I remember looking at my letterbox thinking, "Oh yeah, we're getting a Mission Impossible movie this year." Nope. <laughs> you know, a lot of movies got delayed from 2022 to this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of them we've seen. Mm-hmm. So onward to next year. Yeah. Hope nothing delays our movies coming out next year. No, and and luckily the next installment is due for this time next year. If it, getting, do, if it doesn't get delayed. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, no, we should hopefully this time next year be talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. 
Mm. And that concludes our segment of flashbacks. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you were saying there, let's talk about the, the big stunts of the film, something that Mission Impossible has kind of become known for. As it's, opposed to the impossible mission. Yeah, which I think I missed. I missed those pre-planned out missions that seem impossible and they've got, like... It's kind of hard to describe. The, the best way I can describe it is, like, is the first movie where, you know, Tom Cruise is dangling above yeah. uh, the room climbing the Burj Khalifa him in in the fourth one in the fifth one when he dunks down into the tank like these seemingly impossible tasks that can only be done when they're so pre-planned and only Tom Cruise can do them I miss those and they haven't been present they, there hasn't been one in the fourth one or the fifth one sorry the fourth one no sorry the fifth and the sixth one yeah I, um, I, I, I missed it I, missed I it. agree I, well I do agree with you but for me, it's the stunts these days. Mm-hmm. It, it, ever since the building climbing and the uh, side of the plane take off and then pretty much a lot of staggered things in the sixth one between the motorbike and the helicopter. And, uh, you know, and there's a lot of like small or lesser things in the sixth Mission Impossible. Whereas this one, the bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't think the reasoning was as strong of a reason to do it, but... He had to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the shot set up of doing it, the takeoff, the insert shots of the pedal and uh, the handlebars and like, mm-hmm. the, the wide shot of the taking off. Dude, how did you react to that in the cinema? Because I like quenched up into a ball and then my <laughs> arms like folded like, like across like a Wakanda Forever type. <laughs> I held my breath. Um, I, I was glad that I didn't see it in a trailer. Mm. I was really like, okay, what's going to happen? Um, obviously there was so many featurettes that came out about that how, yeah how jump. to do it and the and preparation I was like, no, didn't watch anything of it I just heard like oh yeah he jumps off a cliff and I was like okay great I can't wait to see that on the big screen where it's meant to be seen yeah. instead of in a YouTube video uh, with the behind the scenes stuff you kind of want to see it in the movie in the movie so um, it, it, was, was, it was good marketing though it was yeah like that's that's the thing is that you know they obviously need to sell the movie yeah and that's going to sell and, however many and days fr- and from the jump to literally crash into the train itself. That, 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 I almost forgot, like, we're, we're so focused in on the scene on the train that you're almost like, oh my God. When you forgot. It, yeah, yeah, you forgot Ethan is parachuting down into the... I was a little bit... I didn't really like him crashing into the train too much mm-hmm. because it felt very deus ex machina of, like, he crashes into the, the train... What are the chances that he crashes exactly into the guy who's about to shoot um, Hayley Atwell's character? I just felt it was a, a little bit too convenient for me anyway. Now maybe if they explain it like, oh, I can see her tracker. She's in this car or whatever it is or something. But it just felt a little bit too on the nose for me. But I got over it quick enough after that. I was like, all right, okay, I'm, I am watching a movie about mm. secret spies. Like, it's fine. But it just felt it was a little bit too far-fetched for me on that one you know <laughs> as I say it's far-fetched after he jumps off a cliff Dave this movie has a as a robot in it right come on I know yeah I know I know I know but still I have to you know I can't help it um, so we're pretty much in the final se- action sequence of the train car Gabriel 
and a dickhead. He's killing civilians. This actually pissed me off. Mm. He's killing the train conductors. Yeah. That was brutal. And then as well as that, when he, he hangs them. Yeah. And he connects them to the whistle. So every single time after that, when the train like turns and you hear the whistle blowing, all yeah. I had in my head was like, that's someone's dead body pulling that. I, it, that was like creepy to me. Was And he, I think it was a great touch to his character. Like He really gets his hands dirty. He doesn't really have much of a crew. He just hops, jumps into the room. need it. And he just pushes the guy off the train mm. and gets a shovel and hits the other guy. He's a dickhead. I hope he dies savagely in the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets away. But, dickhead. And he he, he puts this, them on a runaway train. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's letting everyone do all the hard work only for him to pick up the key at the end. That scene where Grace is running away after the whole disguise wish uh, as Alana, the White Widow, when her brother shoots in the train car and she's like genuinely scared, puts her hands up, gets a fright. After all the craziness, nonsense she's been through the movie, this is still like scary for her. Mm. And she still has the key and she's still hesitant to give it up. Uh, but she does it anyway. Uh, like the fear on her face. Like, I love this. This is really. This is really good. And mm. it made me feel for her. And then when Ethan crashes in, I ask her, Are you okay? Yeah. And, and she reacts to like thinking no I'm not okay she's about to break down but then she holds her own she's yes nods a couple of those moments yeah yeah later on after Ethan tells her stop the train how you'll figure it out because she's now trying to save the day whereas Ethan is after Gabriel Mm -hmm. you know maybe in another world it might be right around if it was Elsa Mm -hmm. who would go after Gabriel and Ethan because he couldn't yeah Yeah. so Ethan's going after Gabriel a lot of similarities to the first movie on top of the train and fighting Gabriel's like he's not running away yeah he's he's gonna face him off and he pulls his own and fights him Mm -hmm. because he he has a sense that he knows what's gonna happen because he's working with the entity and the entity has done so many calculations that he knows exactly what's gonna happen that is 110% gonna be his downfall yeah 100% And, and I like that after he loses the knife fight uh, Gabriel is like you can't kill me Ethan because I, I know I know where where it is mm-hmm. if, that's, and know, if, if and, that's what he says Ethan knows that if like Luther says to a murderer like you know he lays it out in front of him he's like what's your objective and he knows that if he kills Gabriel then no one knows where it is and it's going to win and if he if, does, Ga- if Gabriel kills him then the Anthony prevails yeah. so the only way that they can do that they can win is if Gabriel survives and that's so against what Ethan wants and it sort of clouds him a bit because after thinking Ethan's like no fuck you and he goes to like mm. jam the knife in his neck he cuts him a little bit yeah, yeah he's and, like, and, and it's get... only when your man Shay Wingham yeah. comes in and stops him yeah and, and, and like I felt the tension there with the music you know draining out everything else you, mm. can, you can barely hear him for a bit when he's saying hunt hunt what's that he's saying hunt get up stop it mm-hmm. just in time for Gabriel to get away not just in time for Ethan to Pickpocket the key off. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, you know? Uh, I don't know. A bond dash or not? What a bond uh, ending for a vi- what a bond villain ending for him to yell Ethan when yeah. when he when he, li- <laughs> when he loses. Like, like everything went to plan for him. He was he he had the timer on the watch to yeah. when exactly to fall. Like he fall back he has off. So is so much faith in the entity. Yeah, but even the entity it can't quite calculate everything. Yeah, it can't calculate these minute 
human details. Yeah, he lost. Yeah, like yeah. like like you were saying when we first were talking about it, when Gabriel kill, goes to kill uh, Paris. Yes, when he says he he kills the director of the intelligence yeah. agency, and he turns and he says, "You're going to betray me because Ethan spared your life," and he, then he goes to kill her. She's, he was told he, he, he stabbed her. Yeah, he was told that by the entity. What the entity doesn't realize is that the act of going to kill her because you think because it thinks that it'll that she'll betray it. Yes. That act is what actually sets her off on this path of betrayal. Yeah. It can't quite it, it seems like it's not calculating everything. It's say, it's taking what's most likely to happen yeah. and assuming like oh this is a 99% probability that this is going to happen but it's that one percent where ethan lives yes. and where this these, these movies go and um, it's not calculating itself in the equation and it's not and the incompetence because he we tried to kill her and he would have achieved this if he did kill her mm-hmm. but he didn't kill her yeah. she survived if he had just stayed in that car with her yeah for two more minutes and just like finished the job yeah then ethan would be dead but there's just a certain element that even it can't calculate and after gabriel escapes this is the second time a Mission Impossible villain doesn't die. Yeah, and I kind of like that because I liked yeah. it with Simon Harris's character. Yeah, cause, and he, they brought him back. Yeah, uh, and and the, the, he still survived, but he's like being like pawned off to multiple countries to mm-hmm. face his crimes. But not this time. This time, Gabriel gets away, and he's still in the same position that he is. He just lost his. He just lost this and, and he's he, he's gonna come back, and he'll get what's coming to him. Whereas now Shea Wiggum and his guy, and his guy, right, the younger, uh, uh, I don't know what company his they psychic, are. Yeah, yeah, his psychic. He's saying, do you think, he's like trying to reason with his partner whether Ethan is actually doing the right thing. I think he'll join I That's the what IMF I was well. fully expecting. And I like that. I like that the role they played. Ethan tells you, you're on a runaway train, you need to get everyone from the all the cars to the back of it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he did. And he comes around. He became very likable, Shay mm. Wiggum in this, which is great. I loved it. He has that little moment with uh, Kittredge. He's like, well, technically, seeing as how you're not actually here, it's none of your business. Yeah. You know, he says that to Kittredge as he's like, he's like what's going on? You yeah. Know? He's like, none of your business. Get to the back of the chair. Yeah. And so it's all up to Ethan and Grace to detach the carts and then we have uh, the Un- Uncharted 2 sequence I, I so got Uncharted 2 vibe from yeah. this the bridge blows up the the train the the, the drive driving first part of the train cart off the bridge down doesn't explode just crashes crashes yeah good that's real because mm-hmm. it was it was real mm-hmm. they crashed it yeah, yeah I know that's, that's yeah. incredible and then one by one uh, the, the the train's going so it's dangling off cart by cart so as it slows down, a cart peels down off the bridge and hangs down, like uh, vertically mm. downwards. The first cart they're running on top of it, and then they go through the second cart in the kitchen, which yeah, was the like oil off. oh, the oil really got me because I that, get that, burned or that yeah. spills on you, you're burnt. Yeah, that's it. And then the whole kitchen's just going up in flames. They get out of that anyway. Ethan barely gets out, and then they go through the next one, fine dining one. I believe it With was the piano at the top. Yeah, yeah, the piano. So in this one now, like the cart is hanging vertically, so they can't really climb up. They have to hop across. And Grace is so scared for her life; she's not really thinking straight like she was earlier when Ethan asked her, "Are you alright, Grace? Do you trust me?" No, she's not. No, she's like 
yeah, of course she doesn't trust him, but mm. like, and then she's holding on to him. Grace, like, oh, okay, holds on to him. Get, she's not thinking right. She's she's not well versed in this world. Yeah. And then Grace, you have to jump. You have to jump. You have to jump. And he saves her. Mm-hmm. And then he he's actually letting go because he's slipping. I actually genuinely thought I didn't know what was gonna happen. I forgot. I didn't know what was happening at all. And then Paris Palm Clementine comes in to save him. Yeah. Betrayed. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting her it, at all. Yeah. And which is good, uh, betraying Gabriel because he betrayed her, mm-hmm. not because Ethan spared her, mm-hmm. and that's a factor. But it's not because. Yes. Yeah. So she, you think she dies then there, but um, she's checked later. She's a pulse, so I'm hoping that she comes back. Mm-hmm. And Ethan gets away from Kittred and uh, Shay Wiggum, and Ethan meets up with Benji and. He goes off in like the parachute thing. Yeah. And that was good. I, 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 I like the flip he does yeah. to get out of that. Um, it's good that he kind of, he's back with Benji and like they're set on the path now. They have the key. Yeah. And they just need to find uh, the entity. Yeah. And it's better it, than... It's if, in a submarine. Yeah. If he was captured and like say if it ended and he had to be broken out of... I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad he got away. I'm because, glad we can yes. start the next one just on a, on a run. Because like, because yeah, because Grace is with Kitchers now and like, she, she says... Ethan told me that I can trust you to give me the choice. Yeah. And she accepts. And Kitcher's like, yeah, sure, well, let's go. He's like, interesting, yeah. That's uh, And that even though Ethan is going rogue, he still, when she says like, oh, Ethan said that you would offer me the choice, he still does that. Yeah. Instead of like, no, you're going to prison. Yeah. You know, he's still, even though they're not, you know, working together, he still mm. respects Ethan. It's like, oh, if Ethan trusts her, then we should trust her yeah. as well. You know? I like I like Kitcher's role in this. I'd like to, I'd like to see him in the next one. I'd like to see everyone in this movie return for the next one. Yeah, in some capacity, in some role capacity. I re- I really did enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like with each impossible Mission Impossible movie, when you have a set of characters, it's like half or most of those characters will be in the next one. Those who are not are replaced by new characters for mm-hmm. different roles, and then the same happens again for the next one half of them are mo- or some of them are mm-hmm. not in the next one so for example Jeremy Renner is in 4 and 5 mm-hmm. and, and Alec, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin is in 5 and, and six. 6 and same with uh, Simon Harris and uh, and then Rebecca Ferguson is 5, 6, 7 and Vanessa Kirby is 6, six and, and 7 you see yeah. what I mean like it's been on a bit of a roll here yeah. right? where it's like and whereas always Ethan's team is always Luther, Benji and uh, Ethan mm-hmm. uh, and it was Elsa but yeah I, I, I like this. This movie didn't really do anything for me to not warrant it five stars. Yeah, I, I, that's I, fair. Genuinely, what, what did I not like about it? There, there's nothing I didn't like about it. It could have been better, but any movie can be better. Yeah. What it was now, even the little funny moments in the movie with the hand, handcuff to the steering wheel. Yeah. Or, <laughs> that or, was actually good, yeah. or uh, trying to figure out how to work this little paddy wagon off the car, the yellow car. Like, Something about that actually I wanted to address as well. I was thinking this in the theatre. That could have very easily been over-sexualized. Because there's the moment where they sit into the car and they realise, oh, they're handcuffed the wrong way and Ethan yeah. needs to, they want Ethan to drive. Yeah. In in any other movie, I can so very easily see her sitting on Ethan's lap and there being like a sexual moment or something like that. But no, not in this at all. It's just she starts to drive. She yeah. can't get it. She goes, get out. And they switch seats and he just 
um, you know, sits with his arm crossed over yeah. and drives it with one arm. And it very The insert shots of the gear shift and the pedal moving yeah. and the handle steering. And it's not that he tells her to get out. She tells him to get mm. out because you're driving. And then when he she has to drive, like she's like, no, it's too fast for her. She's trying to get it. She turn, can't get turn, it. turn, turn, or go straight. Take, 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 take the right, take the right, take the right. No, she keeps going in a circle. Mm-hmm. Like, it, those little funny moments and Ethan trying to just figure this out a little bit. And then uh, leading up to the to the cliff jump, he's like, Benji, like I can There's no preparation. To this the the bottom of it is too out. Like the trajectory is like spitting a load of nonsense. Yeah. That is Whereas, just in, yeah. in Benji's like just I'm under it. a lot of yeah. <laughs> he just, but he, he's under a lot of stress and pressure. And like I so relate to you, Benji. Mm-hmm. And I just think about okay, <laughs> you know he gives it yeah. a go and. Oh, there's another funny uh, moment where Shea Wickham is telling his partner, he could be anywhere. <laughs> you just see the overshot over the shot oh, behind the, the, the airport. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you see him running across. Mm. He does a lot of running in this he, movie as well. Yeah, yeah, he gets a couple of runs in this as well. I think his best run was in the sixth one, though. I, I do acknowledge that one in the third one. That was why I was going to say the third one. Uh, I, I do acknowledge that third one was really good. But that one in the... Sixth one when he's chasing after Walker. Yes, but you see that that was. I'm not talking about the overall sequence. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the tracking shot that you're stuck on him. It's actually just before he catches up him to him in the building. Mm-hmm. He, he's just your the profile shot of him, you know, running like that. Mm-hmm. You know, man, uh, Tom Cruise is the gold standard of a Hollywood actor, and he's the last performer. great movie star. Yeah, and um, like he, I feel like he sells tickets on his name. Yes. As opposed to the story. And, he, the and he's a genuine dude. Yeah. He, it's a, it's like, a, if you've seen him in any of the interviews, like, he just loves movies. Yeah. He's like, I want you to go to the cinema to see anything. Yeah. Like, he's there like, no, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer, and I'm going to see Barbie. I'll probably see them the same day. Like, he's he's like, isn't it great that we have these two different movies coming out on the same day? Like, yeah. it's awesome. That's, you know? that's, that's a great thing in existence right now. Mm-hmm. Um... It feels like he's always doing uh, only Mission Impossible movies, or yeah, but like or like, you know, with the whole with Top Gun Maverick, if he got time in for that, he works a lot of them. He's a producer, and he's he's the, he's the pusher for it. He gets it done, you know. I I would be a little bit surprised if we got him to reprise his role as Les Grossman in mm. a Tropic Thunder movie. Or a Tropic Thunder spin-off. Like, how, how, how can you see a Tom Cruise now play that role, mm-hmm. given that what he does nowadays is heavily stunted action set pieces, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, it's very... He's very much going down a certain path. Yeah. So I can't it's, see it's, him it's, playing it's, the Jerry Maguires and the Les Grove. Yeah, it's like, he, it's like the next one he'll play is a, I don't know, a minority report or a uh, a Jack Reacher, even though mm-hmm. that Jack Reacher IP is continued to Amazon with Alan Richardson. Mm-hmm. Probably better so. I never really liked the Jack Reacher movies. No. Like, it's like, for example, the last unnatural movie he did was The Mummy. Yeah. Not only for the time, because it was in and around the time of the Mission Impossible franchise going strong, it was also that he tried to implement the stunts in there as well. And it's mad. He did, that, yeah. yeah the zero the, gravity. The zero gravity play. And just think, like, that stunt just doesn't feel... That stunt belongs in a Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. Not the mummy. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, one last thing, I think, uh, before we kind of wrap it up. I wanted to um, pick your brain on this. What's it like... For you, did you feel like this? Did you 
notice the fact that Ethan, Tom Cruise Ethan, is going up against, in a way, God himself. Not in this movie. No, okay. It felt like he's going up against something that he doesn't understand, and the face of it was Gabriel. To me, Gabriel was the villain with his thumb on the trigger to take down the world. Mm -hmm. Well, let me put it to you this way. Let me give you a few you know uh, gumdrops of like where I found this so Ethan's going up against something called the Entity yes I like the name as we're told that it's everywhere it's in everything everything digital it can see everything it knows everything anything all at once all at once it's everything everywhere it's all at once it can it knows what's going to happen it can predict what's going to happen it has no physical body so it has a representative by the name of Gabriel, you know, like the angel Gabriel. Oh. Um, in the movie, the last movie, um, in Fallout, when he was, when uh, Walker was John Lark, what yeah. were the name of the other agents under him? The apostles. And what was the key? When you put the key together, Yeah. what did it look like? Keys to heaven. No, a crucifix. When it's oh, slotted into yes, yes, like yes, a yes, 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 yes. This very much felt to me like it's. I don't know. I don't know what way they were what they were trying to say, but it felt like oh, there's a lot of like religious symbology in this of Ethan going up against a a, a figure or something that he can't possibly beat. Metaphorically, God. Yeah, that's how. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, I was connecting dots. Maybe those dots are completely unconnected, but I connected them. <laughs> Huh. I think I'll get that in the next one because we're about to face off with the entity a whole lot more. I wonder if there's another person behind this as well mm. as well as Gabriel. And one last thing, when he jumps off that uh when he on the motorbike, yeah. He jumps off. Yeah. He takes a real leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that one. You know, in releasing the trailer. Mm-hmm. We saw a video of Tom Cruise hanging on the side of a, let's call it old-fashioned plane. Yeah, a propeller plane. Yeah, an analog plane, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. So, the entity can't manipulate the plane. Yeah. So like, yeah, I could guess could the entity that... manipulate the cars that they're driving and stuff like that? Yeah, surely it could. Maybe. So you know, I it's. Interesting that we got a bit of a tease with that, Ethan. I wonder if this plane, if this the stunt of the movie, is going to be the something to do with the plane. Mm-hmm. He's hardly gonna fall off the plane and, I don't know, try to put a parachute on. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I just got scared. Ring, ring, Tom up. I've got an idea. <laughs> no, um, it's a stone, a stone. We'll see how it goes. I actually heard um, apparently when he was on. Um, I think it, it might have been either like The Mummy or Edge of Tomorrow or something like that. That's another movie he could get back to. Edge of Tomorrow. I think it's, they're it's, doing it's a sequel. sequel. Well, he just can't get the time to go. Mm. I think it, one of the guys on that said like, oh, um, are you going to, would you ever jump out of like the highest point, like the stratosphere, like where Felix Baumgartner, like the highest jump. Mm. Would you ever jump from that? And he, Tom Cruise, he kind of stood there he contemplated it. He went, that would be really good. But someone's already done it. Like, he's very <laughs> much like, he's like, oh, that's good. Someone's already done it. He wants to push himself 
and do stuff that no one's ever done before. And I think that's like, that's like peak Tom Cruise stunt performer. He in he, another life he would have been happy just doing stunts. He deserves all the money. Mm-hmm. He does. He's putting his life on the line mm-hmm. for us to get entertainment. Yeah, that's it. And and like you were saying there about um, one of our friends saying, you know, ten years later, fifty years later, we'll show these film star kids, and they'll look fantastic. Mm. Like these stunts are as real as can be, yes. and they look. You know, you can tell he is jumping, and when it cuts to a shot of him talking to Benji, where like Benji's like, "Oh, did you jump?" And you're like, "Yeah, I jump." And the wind is blowing in his face, like he's doing these stunts, and then they're going, "Okay, action!" And then he has to deliver lines, yeah. like it's crazy. He also, this is another flashback we can put in that jump. They did that on the first day of filming because Tom Cruise said, "Well, we're gonna have to do it anyway, so we might as well do it on day one and see if we should bother with the rest of the movie." So they did the, the the jump off the cliff on the first day of filming. The first day? Oh, Jesus. First day of principal photography was him jumping off that cliff. Because they were like, well, what's the point doing it midway through? We'll only get half a movie then. At least if I die now, we won't have to bother with the rest of the movie. Like, the guy's crazy, but crazy in a good way. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, you know what's a good thing as well? This movie is not... Uh, combobulated with a load of spin-offs and separate IPs mm-hmm. or TV shows or anything like that. It's not it's not oversaturated like Star Wars is being oversaturated like yeah. the MCU is being oversaturated. This movie it's just movie, movie, movie. Yeah. Could you, you ever know, see, could, yeah. could you ever see a spin-off with all these characters like, like a, a spin-off of the White Widow or a spin-off with Grace or a spin-off with Jeremy Renner or, I wouldn't want them. I wouldn't watch them. them or I wouldn't want them. Either way. What's the point? Exactly. I'm happy watching them as just like a movie every three or four years mm. and you know you know what you're going into. Yeah. I like the fact that they stopped numbering them. Yes. Because obviously they went one, two, three and then Ghost Protocol, Rogue yeah. Nation. Uh, Ghost Protocol pretty much did reinfigure it. And, and the titles as well are cool. Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, mm. Fallout. They're Dead very Man much, you, you feel like you can just watch this one. Yeah. You don't, you're not beholden to watching all of the other ones. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting the fact that when did Ghost Protocol come out? Twenty eleven. Two thousand and I was gonna say twelve, but it might be eleven. Yeah, that they poised that movie to be Tom Cruise's final movie, and for Jeremy Renner to take over the. Yeah, but Jeremy Renner. Well, here's the thing. I felt like Jeremy Renner was brought in there in case mm. they could change it up I think they were, where, that's what they were looking to do But whereas Tom Cruise is like nope mm-hmm. and here we are Jeremy Renner hasn't been in the last two now the last three movies you know it feels like the same thing they tried to do with the Bourne movies they, oh Matt Damon's not coming back let's just get a Jeremy Renner he's yeah he's <laughs> literally in around the time of doing that mm. Jeremy Renner needs to stop being the replacement guy he he, he needs his own mm-hmm. and he is his own mm-hmm. and he's great in um, Wind River and he and I'm hearing he's great in Mayor of Kingstown. Haven't seen it yet. Near have I. No. But it's from the creator of Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, what's your favourite? What's your favourite one? Um I'd say Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. I really like Rogue I, I just think that that's a great one. It's obviously the introduction of Ilsa. Simon Harris, a great villain. I love the the impossible mission. Yeah. Simon Harris the stunt at the beginning. Yes. It's 
Cyrus Harris did feel like a Bond villain. He did. Like, yeah. I, but I did think the stunt was like, really? The opening shot? I know Star Wars strong, but like, it felt like, what do we have to look forward to now after mm-hmm. all the stunts? I feel like Fallout is my favourite because mm-hmm. of the pace. The pace just keeps going and going and going That's and going fair, and going. Yeah. The pace is just so strong. The bathroom scene. Anything with Henry Cavill. He was a nice villain uh, to be yeah. introduced. Uh, a scalpel versus a hammer. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no emotion to him. There's no even like ability. Even when he's on the, on your side, he'll take out the guy who, who points a gun at you. Mm-hmm. But he's still a dickhead. He'll yeah, sure. The movie opens with them doing the, the skydive. Yeah. And he... Uh, Ethan's telling them like oh yeah. you shouldn't be doing this so yeah. like we need to do this we should call it off and he pulls out Ethan's oxygen tank yeah. and jumps out anyway so it's like oh we're on the same side but like oh yeah fuck you I'm gonna do it anyway yeah. so it's he's yeah he's a good he was a good villain definitely yeah. and I, I, like, I like the way they treat our villains mm-hmm. it's always the thing with me and villains I need I need the villains to be good yeah yeah so that's good I enjoyed it I've got a recommendation for, yeah. for, for the week give me better um been watching a lot of TV. I actually struggled to pick one. Uh, I know I've been saying a lot of TV, but TV is peak right now. Mm-hmm. I just finished season one of Yellow Jackets. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a show about... Set, I think it's set in 19... I don't know what time year it takes, but it could be the 70s, but it could be the 90s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point I'm trying to make is that a, a plane crashes somewhere in the wilderness and uh, the survivors are a girls' soccer team. with a a staggered few other people and while you know this right uh, taking place I don't know in the 70s or the 90s I don't I really don't know why I'm struggling to pick up because there is another storyline taking place in 2021 with the survivors okay so you of course there is only a couple of the older versions of the survivors and then you're seeing each one of their storylines so there's like four or five or some mostly three but there's a, there's a few of them right mm-hmm. and as you get to learn all right so in the you know as you're watching the show the survivors from the plane crash who are stuck in the wilderness for almost two years the you know who survives and you're pointing out who's not that who's not in the yeah. future but they never explicitly say how many survive yeah. so just because you're not seeing them doesn't, doesn't mean, mean they, can't, they can't introduce them yeah and then we're seeing the future yeah, a few uh, things being triggered where their past is being brought up and how their their, their own storylines in the future in 2021 is like sort of bringing them back together to revisit the horrors that they were forced to commit hmm. um, that doesn't really get into it all that much terribly until the end of the first season and it's like it's like when you're watching the, the past in the, in, the, in, the, in the forest in the wilderness it's like almost a, a completely separate storyline that, oh yeah, now it's like almost Game of Thrones, like here's what these set of characters are doing here versus what these set of characters are doing over here, even mm. though they're all the same characters, Yeah, you know, it, it, you, you can get, you can go, get, sort of get away with it that these are completely separate characters, it just makes sense for this overall story they're telling. Mm. It's, 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 it's very creatively done, the soundtrack, I can't describe it, it it's very well done I, I don't even know how the showrunners describe it they're looking to do five seasons of it they can do a bonus episode they said two seasons of it is already out and I watched the you know the final episode last night the final scene you know the, they like to have a couple of reveals and a couple of twists do you know what my reaction was to the ending of it okay don't spoil it but <laughs> my reaction yeah <laughs> 
that. <laughs> okay, it, I, it, I'll definitely it, add that it, to my it, list. It, it just got me. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely be adding to that to my list. Yellow jackets. Yellow jackets. Excellent. Yeah. I, have, I have a recommendation as well. It's not something I watched during the week, but um, The Bear. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is coming out. Season two is coming to Disney. Um, this week, I think so. Season one is all there. Here in Germany, Curtis and John Berthold's in it. Uh, John Berthold, he's in a little bit of it, yeah. Um, okay. And Jamie Lee Curtis. I think I heard maybe Bob Odenkirk is his guest star in it as well. Oh, okay. So um, it's about uh, a guy uh, called Carmi, and he comes to run his brother's um, restaurant in New York. No, in Chicago. Sorry. Okay. Um, and it's like a high stress. He comes from like a Michelin star restaurant, but this is a very much like a a family owned business and like there's high pressure situations it's really well shot there's there's one episode entirely in season one that's it's it's a full one take it's not like a fake like you know um when it, if the camera crosses, I, I know, so I know, I know. There's, no, there's no hidden snippets of edits no it's a full 24 minute episode all one take and it's the most like edge of your seat like white knuckle like oh my god is this when is it gonna end yeah kind of episode and season two is coming out now this week so um i would recommend that like if you if you find if you like cooking if you like uh intense uh, yeah i stressful yeah stuff. oh no i saw it advertise i just feel like it's a it's a show that everyone's talking about and it's getting all the rewards yeah for, great fair enough but i just don't want to deal with stress right now okay and, that's fair and <laughs> and i didn't feel like it was advertised all that much Mm-hmm. But no, fair enough. I could say the same with Yellow Jackets, uh, but I suppose the intrigue. Uh, it ends kind of like a lost almost. Yes, but yeah, look, it's an intrigue. I think like, down the line, I might, I might, I might give it a go. You know, I finished the Sandman and Wednesday and Tussle King, and all of us are dead. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of finishing recently mm-hmm. because um, once you start something, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my recommendation. I mean, that's your recommendation. Yeah. So, um, I think that's the end of the episode. Fantastic. Yeah, Thanks. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed this little chat of Mission Impossible. Yeah. It might be my favourite movie of the year. Second favourite, maybe. That's fair. I can understand that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We always appreciate If you made it this far, fair play to you. Mission completed. Um, <laughs> oh, dude. I'm so sorry. I, did, I, did you, I logged this in my letterbox. Oh yeah! If you if what on, the hell? I, I didn't do a review. If you if you log this on Letterboxd, if you're on Letterboxd and you do a review, do a review for any Mission Impossible. It's not just this one. It's any Mission Impossible. There's an Easter egg there. Uh, it's fantastic. That I won't say any more. But just do that. But um, yeah, I, I, I thought my phone was breaking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very much out. Oh, what's going on? But it's it's very good. I saw it. I didn't review, but I saw it. Yeah. But thank you so much for um, listening to this episode. Uh, if you could give us five stars, we'd really appreciate it. Um, if you want to follow us on all our socials, um, all the links are down below. We're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, everything. Um, TalkingPicturesPodcast1 at gmail.com is our email if you have any uh, queries you'd like to send us. We're stacking them up. We're, we're planning to do a couple episodes now in the future of, of answering questions and stuff. So make sure to send them in in plenty of time. Next week, Brian, huge week. Finally upon us, Barbenheimer. Barbie Oppenheimer, what are we going to do next week? You'll have to listen to find out, okay? We're not going to tell you. It's either Barbie or Oppenheimer, so you're going to have to see both on the same day next weekend to, to listen. This weekend, this upcoming weekend, and next week we'll have a review for you. Yeah, we're not... Yeah. Let me ask you this there before we close. Seeing it on the same day, which do you see first? <sighs> if you've seen it on the same day, 
I'd recommend a nice 12 o'clock screening of Oppenheimer. You go, you sit with that, you go have your, you know, maybe 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. You see that, you spend your three hours, you have a nice solemn dinner. Then you go see Barbie with the girls and you go for drinks and you be, you either be a Barbie girl or you be your supportive Ken for your Barbie and you have a great night. I would say that. Oppenheimer followed by Barbie. You? I, I disagree. Oh! <laughs> You're I, going opposite. Okay. I want to see Barbie. It's not that I want to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. I just want to get that kick out of it. I want to get a bit of joy out of it. And I'm hearing it's great. I'm hearing it's, it's a load of fun. And I do want to get that. And I, I Not at 12 o'clock, maybe a, a 1 or 2 or 3 mm-hmm. o'clock. And then get that nice and settled. Because... For me, Oppenheimer, cinema. Mm-hmm. It's like the opera. It's like, I gotta go in and watch Oppenheimer for an evening, three hours, and then go home and contemplate about it, <laughs> my <laughs> Sit life. with it for three hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, I don't want to, after seeing Oppenheimer, I'm not going to be saddened with reality to warrant me seeing Barbie mm-hmm. I'm going to be overly joy from Barbie I'll, to, to go into straight into Oppenheimer to dull my senses I would prefer that mm-hmm. and yeah it's Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. it, I, I, say no more yeah. say no more say no more <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks David thanks Brian.